welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Today, welcome to Reliance. We call ourselves a family, and so you're, you're part of our family today. Uh, if you're watching online via live stream, it's great to have you guys tune in today. Um, again, it's just great to have all of you guys. I, I got to just kind of confess that today's message is really for me, and then you can take whatever you want from it, Okay. Um, I've, I've kind of been in this state, I'll just call it a state, where I've found myself so, so fixated on what's happening day to day, so fixated on reading news stories and following the trail of what that looks like and, you know, watching videos and, you know, being a YouTube junkie of going, oh, wow, I didn't know about that, you know, and I found myself so fixated on that that I really felt like the Lord was speaking to me. Last night, I was wrestling in my sleep, couldn't sleep. I get up really early on Sunday mornings to get here and just pray and kind of just walk around the building and pray and things. And the Lord just, I was wrestling with the Lord. I'm like, God, I want to sleep. And he's like, are you on mission for me? And I'm like, I think I am. Are you on mission for me? I'm just wrestling in my spirit and acted with the day-to-day speaking to my heart was that I was so distracted with the day-to-day happenings and what's in the news and videos and things that I forgot to be on mission for him. And I want to say that because I'm sitting around in a conversation last night with good brothers and sisters, and in that conversation that I'm having with my brothers and sisters, I'm sitting there and our conversation could have been fixated on Jesus, but we're talking about all the happenings of the world. And I'm all for that. I want the, the light to expose the darkness. Amen, church? Like, I want that more than anything. But the Lord is going, but don't get so fixated on that that you lose my mission and vision for your life. And I just want to be mindful that the enemy is a master of deception, The enemy is a master of deception. He's a master of distraction. And many times the enemy is creating a diversion, smoke and mirrors, to get us to focus on the diversion so that he can make his way in through the back door. Very rarely is the enemy coming and knocking on your front door. Because if you're a believer in Christ, you see him, you recognize his schemes, you keep the door shut. But if he can distract you to look over here, if he can make the diversion of the smoke and mirrors look like this so that he can work his way in and do some damage on the backside, he will. He's always got a bigger plan than what we see. The enemy has strategy. Scripture says that the enemy has strategies. And part of that strategy is the strategy of trying to divert us away from what he's really doing. I was thinking about that word kind of uh, diversion. And I look at my own kids, my own kids. Whenever my kids are up to something and they're scheming, I'm watching you over there. Whenever my kids are up to something and they're scheming, I want you to know I always hear this whisper in the bedroom and they go, send Trinity out, right? That's my little one. She's the one that melts the heart. Not that you guys don't melt my heart, but you know what I'm talking about, all right? She's the one. And, And they'll send Trinity out. And all of a sudden, Trinity will come up and she'll say, hi, daddy, I love you, right? And I'm like, oh, they are up to something. And her whole role is that we get distracted so that they can slip downstairs and play more video game time or take their iPads or their phones or whatever, but they send out Trinity, you bad, bad kids. (laughs) And it's all a diversion to get us off of what's really happening. 
Why is that important, church? Because if the enemy has a battle plan, and that battle plan is to create diversions, the definition of diversion is to get somebody to turn something aside from its course. To turn something aside from its course. Here's my course. I just want to divert you a little bit. I just want to get you off course just a little bit. We know this is how war works. In the Revolutionary War, I love history. In the Revolutionary War, there was a battle that was raging over here on this front that all of the British Army was trying to put their effort into it. And we know the story of how George Washington snuck across the Delaware River. And as he snuck across the river, it, he was able to defeat some strongholds. And be, by, by defeating those strongholds, it shifted the whole tide of the Revolutionary War. We know the story of the legend of the Troy and the Greek War where the Greeks were trying to besiege Troy and get into the city, but they couldn't do it. And so they made a Trojan horse in which they slipped into, and the Trojans brought it into their city, and the Greeks were able to destroy their city from the inside out. This is the enemy's schemes of our life. He wants us to be distracted from the mission of God in our life. And I'm just going to share my conviction. I can get so caught up in statistics and news stories and news sources and politics and data and all of these things that I can forget about the heart of God. We can flood our, our news stories. And I'm telling you, I'm all for, let's expose the darkness. I'm all for that. But let's expose the darkness for Jesus. Amen. Because I can flood my news feed with all of these whatevers, articles and all these things, but I'm not always flooding my news feed with the things of Jesus. Paul has a word for us, I think, in this in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. It's towards the end of his life. He's getting ready to go on in his life. He knows that his life is coming to an end. And he says this to his partner in ministry, Timothy. And he says, I have fought the, everybody say good. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now I find it interesting that Paul tells us at the end of his life that he fought the good fight. He could have very easily says, I fought the fight, I finished the race, and from Paul, that there's a lot of other fights that we can fight that aren't the good fight. We can get caught up in a lot of distractions that aren't the right fight in which we're supposed to be fighting. Now you might say, man, this sounds familiar, like the last three weeks I feel like you've been hammering this. I am. Because I know right now, according to Paul, there's a good fight to fight and there's a lot of other ones. And I'm wondering for us as the church, which ones are we getting involved in? When I was in Guatemala, I remember meeting with two guys uh, uh, in this mission trip, deep city, Guatemala, gang violence, horrible poverty. I told you, built on top of a dump, the place that we were at. And gang violence, terrible. Two guys, one that ran a gang ministry, one that ran a street ministry, trying to get people out of this lifestyle. Both of them tattooed up, about as mean-looking guys as you can imagine, being on the streets of Guatemala, one of the most dangerous places at one time, Guatemala City. These two guys, tears streaming down their face. They look at us with all conviction, and they say, people will come into your life with good intentions. People will come into your life, and they will tell you they will give you things. But they looked at us, and they said, do not lose your vision and your mission. They say people from, from churches will come in and say, look, if you would just change your ministry this way a little bit, then we'll support you. And both of them, with conviction in their eyes, said, do not lose the mission that God puts you on. 
Our aim, church, our goal, our target, our calling, whatever you want to call it, has not been diverted for the last 2,000 years. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus and what he desires. There's a quote in the book, Art of War, that says, the expert in battle moves the enemy and is not moved by him. The expert in battle moves the enemy, but is not moved by him. And I just, in my own life, confession, feel like in these things, these days, these ages, these trials, these things that we're seeing, it is so easy to be moved by him. So I want to give you a reminder, just a real quick history lesson of your calling and your mission, just in case you need this today. Your mission, your calling is to know Jesus and make him known, period. It's not difficult in terms of knowing what it is. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus gives a word to the first 12 guys, and he says, come follow me and I will make everything down, letting their nets down. From this moment forward, 12 guys respond by letting everything down, letting their nets down, laying down their businesses, laying aside whatever it is they had, and they respond to one of the most difficult, life-changing, life-challenging, faith-filled, joy-filled ministry they could ever be a part of. And the calling of Jesus is the same today. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Three years later, Jesus doesn't change his mission. It's the same thing. Three years later, Matthew 28, Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, getting ready to go and, and be with the Father in heaven, getting ready to go and be with God. And he says, now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. The mission didn't change. He didn't say, okay, good, you've done the fisher of a men thing. Now let me change it up for you. He says, it's the same thing that I told you three years ago when you dropped your nets. Go make fishers of men. Go make disciples of all nations. Something happened later on in the book of Acts. Holy Spirit's come. They've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Something is stirred within them. And Jesus says that when that power comes upon you, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and you will testify about me. The mission did not change. It was the same mission. Go make disciples. Be fishers of men. Be a witness about me. The mission of Jesus has not changed. It has not diverted. It's the same that it was back then. It's the same for us today. It'll be the same thing whether or not we're 100 years from now or not. It'll be the same mission. Now, why is that so important? Because somewhere between the first century church, when there was that mission to where we're at now, we've kind of got that lost in translation a little bit. We've been distracted from that ambition as our calling. This became the disciples' consuming ambition. Everything about their life was given over to this. And somewhere along the line, that has not been necessarily the church's heart's ambition. We've wanted to grow ministries. We've wanted to grow this. We've wanted to grow that. We've wanted that name. But I don't know that our ambition has been we will evangelize the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there's this guy named Bill Hull who says, God has not promised to bless our good motives. God has not promised to bless our dreams and our innovation. But God has promised to bless his plan, and that plan is that disciples make disciples. You think about that church. 
And I'm not saying that God doesn't have a dream for you, and I'm not saying that you can't have dreams and you can't have innovations. I think that God loves that. But that dream and that, and that innovation better be for his plans. He will bless it. His word says that he will bless you. He will bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. Now listen to this. He goes on and he says, God has promised to bless his plan, and that plan we know of three different times that he's calling the mission vision is to make disciples, to be fishers of men, to be a witness to his name. And this is what he says, the rest of that quote, everything else is just a sideshow. Let me tell you what should stir our hearts. I'm not always into uh, 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 st stats and all those things that are out there and, you know, because I think that God's the one who holds all stats in his hands. But let me just tell you what they're seeing, what Christian, Christianity is seeing right now. In the next 10 to 15 years, they are showing that 20 million people plus will walk away from their faith. Not just people that don't believe. People who believe that were once sold out to the hearts of God, heart, out, heart of God, and that walk away from their faith. And that right there, church, should be staggering to us. Scripture says the, the love of many will grow cold. We know that. Scripture says that many are going to want that wide road because the narrow road is going to be a little too tough. But that should be staggering to us that 20 million people plus will walk away from their faith in Christ. And we should ask the question, why? Why? Why is this happening? If our mission and vision is this, why? And I would say that we're probably distracted a bit, being diverted into other things than living out that mission. Because I think there's two things, there's lots of things that guide our primary purpose for, for mission and vision. But I think there's two things that we tend to live by when it comes to our mission and vision. The first thing is this, and we've said this before in here, we will give our lives to what we value the most. We will give our lives to what we value. The Jesus says it. You is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes into the story of a man is walking across the field and he stumbles upon a treasure that has infinite value. And the man in his joy and his excitement goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can go and buy the field with the treasure in it. He's talking about the kingdom of God. So what we value what, what we value, we will give our lives to what we value. Number two, kind of guiding principle for what we're after when it comes to motive is we pass on what we're passionate about. What we're passionate about is what we pass on. And I've noticed lately in my own life, I've noticed that I've been passionate for all of these rabbit trails that I've been going down and going, ooh, I'm gonna uncover this and this and this and this and this. And, this. and the Lord's saying, do not get diverted from me. And both of those things, I feel like the Lord is shaping in my heart right now. And last night as I was wrestling with the Lord, just going, Lord, what, what are you trying to do? He says, Aaron, I'm trying to, and I told you this from me, take what you want from it. I'm trying to prune you. I'm trying to cut you. You imagine the Lord going, I want to cut you, right? I want to shank you, right? <clears throat> I want to cut you, I want to prune you, because if I prune you, then there's more fruitfulness. And he leads us to John 15, 1 through 4. If you guys have your Bibles, you can jump over there real quick. <clears throat> John 15, 1 through 4 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. I'm fine with that, church. 
If there's something dead in me and it's not bearing fruit, typically I'm like, Lord, just cut it off. I'm fine with that. This is the part that I struggle with. While every branch that does bear fruit, good branches, fruit-bearing branches, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, he cuts, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken over you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm just gonna tell you, I don't like that. I don't like pruning things. I don't like pruning things. I don't like being pruned. I like to pick things and eat them, amen? My father growing up, he's got on our farm, out at our family farm, we've got this, he's got lots of fruit trees, but he's got one massive tree and all of the grandkids can climb up in it and it's just full of apples. I mean, overflowing, just hanging full of apples. And I remember as a kid, you growing up, and we're like, Dad, we're going to go out and pick some apples so we can eat them. And he goes, nope, not until you prune it first. You know, and he tosses you the pruners. What do you mean prune it first? He goes, you can't eat the fruit until you prune it back. You want to know why you have so much fruit on that tree for you guys to enjoy? Because I spent my life pruning it so it would be the most fruitful for you. Church, listen to this. Pruning always comes before picking the fruit. The more something is pruned, the more there will to be to pick from it. And I don't like that. I want to eat the fruit, and I don't want to have the cutting away process going on. The definition of pruning is this. The cutting away of something dead or overgrown branches, especially to increase fruitfulness and growth. We can be so consumed by so many other things and distracted through the diversions of the enemy that we can have some overgrowth in our life, amen? And it can look good. And there may be an apple or two hanging from it, but it is zapping the branch that the Lord wants to do more work in that's gonna be more fruitful. Pruning involves cutting things back so that that tree can reach its full potential. When I was uh, in high school and in, in, in my first year, couple years of college, I got to work out at Sedgwick County Zoo in their horticulture department. You know what they had me do? Prune stinking trees, all right? <laughs> I remember giving me the little pruners. They said, go, go prune, prune the trees in the zoo. I'm like, well, there's a lot of trees. They go, we know. And, and, and from the bottom of these trees, there's these little things that just, these little sprouts that just come out. And then from the main branches, there's these little things that just come out. They go, why don't you prune those back? You know what they call those? Sucker branches. Because they suck the life out of what is supposed to be growing. Those little sucker branches are taking nutrients from maybe that branch or from maybe the trunk so that the tree will be even more healthier and look better. And so here's what I see. In our life, there's a lot of little sucker branches that may be green, may look like they have a role to play, but we're supposed to cut those things off. Amen, church. This pruning process is making sure that we don't get so ingrained in these other things that are diverting us, getting us, distracting us from the mission sold out for Jesus Christ. Let me just say this. This pruning that is taking place is part of the process to get us back on mission. And if you're like me, I like the product, I hate the process. Let me get you a right mindset for just a minute. 
When we're trying to get our mindset then back on the mission of Jesus, how do I accept the pruning, get my mindset back? Matthew 16, 24 says, if anyone would come after me, he, she must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Let me share something with you that's so important that I think we need to get in church life and in our own life. Jesus didn't come to save you from the cross. He came to save you to the cross. But let me tell you what I mean by that. Jesus says here in Matthew 16, 24, deny yourself, take up your cross. He ain't trying to save you from the cross. He's trying to save you to the cross where the finished work has been done by him. So many times what we think in our life is he's trying to save us from the cross. If that were the case, then Peter was crucified upside down. If that were the case, the Romans would have stopped the practice of crucifixion. If that were the case, if this was what it was all about, my comfort, my security, we wouldn't have to walk through what we walked through. But we know this, according to his word, that our calling is actually to the cross, where he said, it is finished. Now, I don't know if you grew up this way, but I'm wondering if you thought about this revolution that Jesus has called you to. And I love this quote that says, who in the world starts a revolution with the words, come and die? Like, I don't know how many of you came to Jesus where somebody says, I want to tell you about Jesus. Just can't wait to do this. All right, listen, you have a big target painted on your back by the enemy. You're probably going to go through suffering. You're probably going to go through persecution. You're probably going to feel at times like, what in the world did I sign up for? It's going to be brutal. It's going to be hard. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're pressed, but you're not crushed. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're just in the grinder. Are you ready for Jesus? That's typically not how it goes because we have this other way in which we invite people in. We're going, look, God wants to prosper you. We say it with a smile. God wants to prosper you. God wants to just bring. That's not true. No matter what you do, he just wants to bless you and everything you do. You know, he doesn't want you to go through suffering. That's not true. Because suffering produces perseverance. We've talked about that, amen? And so we give this palatable gospel where we say it's not about you taking up your cross. And yet Jesus says it is about you taking up your cross. So yes, God loves you. Yes, God has a plan for your, your life. Yes, God wants great things for you. But somewhere along the line, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus turned to them and said, oh, and by the way, if you're going to follow me, then you better take up your cross and deny yourself to follow me. There's a big difference in what it means to have self-denial and denying self. And I think in Christianity, we've mixed those two things up from time to time. This is the hardest part about pruning. We think that sometimes pruning is about just cutting a few things away. Just, 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 just trim this thing up right here a little bit. But according to what Jesus says here in Matthew 16, says anyone would come after me, he must deny, they must deny themselves. Let me tell you what the definition of self-denial is. Self-denial is the practice of denying oneself things that hinder the pursuit of a greater purpose. We practice these things like dieting. I want to lose some weight. I'm going to deny, I'm going to deny myself some food. I'm going to diet. I want to save some money, I'm going to deny myself some things that I would normally buy. I'm going to save some money by budgeting. I, I want to be a better athlete, I'm going to deny myself some things that I want to do. I'm going to put a little bit more time into practice. Self-denial is different than denying self. Self-denial is I'm just going to take a few things away, but I still got to be me. 
Denying self is different. Denying self is stepping off the throne of your life, letting Jesus reign and rule over your dreams, your passions, your pursuits. And so many times I'm in self-denial, but not denying self. The cure of a stubborn heart is not trying harder to cut some things out here and there. The cure of a stubborn heart is to remember and recognize the finished work on the cross that I'm carrying behind me because I'm taking up my cross and following him. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race not races, the race. There is a focused race, there's a focused finish line, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So how do I know in this pruning process if I'm just in a little bit of self-denial or I'm denying self? Ask yourself questions like these. Number one, who or what sits enthroned on my heart? Number two, what dictates the decisions that I make in my life? What's my guide? What dictates that? Number three, do my career pursuits determine my mission in life or does God's mission determine my career pursuits? Number four, is there anything that gives me greater joy than my relationship with Jesus? And maybe one of the most difficult ones is, difficult ones is what do I adamantly try and protect and defend? You can come up with a thousand other questions like these that tell us in this moment, am I trying to just deny a few things in my life? Or am I denying self by taking my cross and following him? One of those is going to keep me on the right vision and mission of Jesus and not be diverted by the smoke and mirrors over here or diverted by the distractions of the enemy over here where he's trying to sneak in and still kill and destroy, as Scripture says what God wants to do in my life. This word, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We are one piece of a puzzle that's been laid out for centuries, church. We are one piece of a puzzle. I love this word, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I read this and this is what I see. Somewhere up there, wherever that looks like, Moses is up there going, come on! We laid the foundation. We set the course. Don't get diverted off of that course. Don't get distracted. It's smoke and mirrors. You're going to want something different. You're going to live in fear at times. Don't lose sight of what God has. Moses is up there championing us on. Somewhere up there, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great theologian of his time who wrote the book Cost of Discipleship in Nazi Germany in a horrible time, is up there as a great cloud of witnesses saying, come on. Don't lose Jesus. Don't lose. Don't think that it's all about this. Stay the course. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't lose sight of what's happening. And here he is going through Holocaust. Somewhere up there, these men and women of faith are going, come on. It's been laid. Keep going. Don't get diverted. Don't lose track. Don't step off. This is it. Let's keep going. Stay on mission. And then we get to John 12, 24. Band, you guys can come on up. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. 
but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Man, church, we, I, I know, honestly, I, I was thinking about doing like a sermon on grace today. And the Lord just keeps going, man, just keep going, keep going, keep going, don't lose focus. I feel like, and I've said this every week, but there's this like awakening in the church right now. The lights are dimming, the stages are fading away. Programs that we want to put everything into are almost gone. Just, we're just gone, we shut them down. And all of a sudden, it's not about a pastor or a group of people that just call themselves pastors that get to work inside of a church. All of a sudden, it becomes about the body of Christ. All of, all of a sudden, it comes about all of us on mission together. Not in a Sunday morning experience, but every single day, living this thing out of going, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to take my cross up, I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to let the Lord prune me. I'm going to let Him cut off things at times that I feel like, Lord, that was a good branch. And He's going, oh, no, 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 I got something better. God is moving. The bride is beginning to wake up. The bride is beginning to wake up, and we always say things like, like, when are we going to go back? I know we said this, but when are we going to go back to normal things? And he's going, there's no more normal. <laughs> it's time. The day of the Lord is drawing near. Ten years, hundred years, fifty years, tomorrow. I don't know when, but the day of the Lord is drawing near, and the bride is crying out, crying out, come, Lord Jesus. And the church, not just pastors or ministry leaders, but the church, the body is going, ah, we're on mission, come. Don't lose sight. Fishers of men, don't lose sight. Making disciples of all nations, don't lose sight. Testifying in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth, what is that for you? Don't lose sight and be distracted by the smoke and mirrors that the enemy might be doing right Fight hard, the good fight, to expose the darkness, but do it for Him. I want to pray over you today. We're going to close out. So I pray over you. If you know there's distractions in your heart, the band's going to sing this song. I just want to cover you with this song and just cover you with this prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, whether people are tuning in online today or in this room today, we pray, Father, our hearts are stirred to get back on mission. Our hearts are stirred to get back on vision. God, if we have been diverted, if we have lost our path a bit and been focused on something else that we thought was important, God, get us back to your mission and your vision. Prune us. Prune us, Jesus. We want to be passionate for the things that you're passionate about. We want to value the things that you value, and we want to speak those things forth. So Jesus, today, if there's any distraction today as a church, we lay that down as individuals. I pray that we can lay that down at the foot of the cross right now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We got to stand. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.